Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone here who's worshiping with us this morning. We'd love to have a record of your attendance, whether you are a longtime member, a first-time visitor, or someone that worships here on a regular basis. We ask that you would grab that pew pad at the end of the aisle and complete the information therein, and then pass that to the neighbors who are seated with you. Just a few announcements to share with you this morning. First and foremost, next week is our annual meeting, and so this will serve as the second reading uh, to announce that annual meeting. The session of First Presbyterian Church of St. Albans is called an annual congregation congregational meeting for Sunday, January 29th, 2023, following the 10 a.m. worship. The purpose of the meeting is to vote on the nominees for the Office of Elder and for Trustee, to review the 2023 budget, which is approved by session, and to approve the 2023 pastor's terms of call and review the 2022 annual report. Again, that does serve as our second reading from the pulpit. So we'll announce it again next Sunday, but hopefully you've had plenty of time to make plans to be here with us for that. And immediately following that, we're going to also have a Sunday brunch uh, in the fellowship hall, and we'd like for you to bring some things for that. If you'd like to learn about what you can bring, what everybody else is bringing, you can talk to Laurie about that. Uh, also, hopefully you'll make plans to be with here, be with us here on Wednesdays. We have Bible study for all ages. Uh, but before that, we have a dinner. And so we hope you'll make plans to be with us uh, for 545 for dinner and then Bible study for all ages at 630. Again, we're thrilled that you're here worshiping with us. Let's now prepare our hearts to worship the living God.
Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn from your away in anger. You who have been my help, do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. Come, let us worship the triune God. Will you rise, if you are able, to sing our opening hymn, number 14, For the Beauty of the Earth.
The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about this promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Please join me in our prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, mercifully look upon our infirmities, and in all our dangers and necessities, stretch forth your right hand to help and defend us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn us? Only God. Yet he sent his son for us. He lived with us. He died for us. He rose again to a new life for us and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The Apostle Paul reminds us that he prays for us. We know that in Christ's coming, God was reconciling the world to himself, that our old life is gone and a new life remain. So know that you have been set free and pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. be seated. The Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 4. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied exultation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest, as people exalt when they're dividing the plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The word of our Lord.
You may be seated, and at this time I invite the children forward for a children's sermon. Good morning. Good morning, Braxton. Okay. I'm thinking about starting a club. And I want you all to join my club. Who's in? You don't even know what the club is yet, do you? No. We are going to become a group of people who go catch fish. Yes. He goes fishing a lot. Does he catch them? Yeah, okay. Okay, so, yes, sir. Your uncle goes fishing a lot? Okay. Not him, not that one, not that uncle. Okay. Not Tony. One of the other one of the other ones. This is a better fisherman than Tony. North Carolina. Yeah, he lives near water, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, I've heard about him. So are you still in? You two ladies still want to be fisher people, anglers? Yes? Maybe. Okay, here's what we have to do. We have to wake up at like three o'clock in the morning. You're out? Okay. And then we have to go look at our nets. We have to make sure that there's no holes in our nuts, so we have to start sewing at about 3.30. And about 4, we can probably start pushing the boat into the water. And then we'll go out on the water until about, I'm going to guess, maybe around noon, when it starts to get hot, we'll come in for a little bit. And any of the fish that we have caught by then, we'll start, we'll start separating those out, and we'll start filleting them, we'll start cutting into those so we can sell them. You guys still in? You're still in? All right, okay, you're still in? All right, you still in, Owen? Yeah, okay, all right, so we've just lost one so far, okay. Then about 6 o'clock in the evening, after we finish cutting up all the fish, we're going to go back out on the water, and we're going to fish till about 11 o'clock at night. And then we'll come in about midnight, and we'll sleep for about three hours, and we'll wake up and do it again. Does that sound like fun? No, you're already a quitter. You're still in, right? No bedtime, basically, okay? You're still good? Oh, and you still good? Yeah? All right. Who's in? All right, we're going to sign up. We're going to sign a contract today after church. This is how we're going to fish, okay? Okay, this, we'll do this every day for the rest of our lives. We're not going to get paid a lot for it either. We're just going to basically eat fish and crackers. You don't get paid. Yeah, we've got to sell our fish. We got... I don't think I like fish and crackers. Fish and crackers, you okay with that? I don't like You don't like fish and crackers? Fish and chips. Well, we don't get. We gotta. We gotta get close to the potato farmers for that. Okay. So this is this is what's weird. Like that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? How many of you've ever been fishing before? Okay. What did What did you do when you went fishing? Go, Braxton. Um, wait. I, th- I think we caught a snake in the water. You caught a snake. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. We did, but we, we thought we saw one. You thought you saw one. Okay. Did anybody walk on water when they saw the snake in the water? No. There wasn't a snake in the water? No. Okay. What was your alt fishing trip like? A big goldfish, okay. You just sat there waiting for dad to catch something. Did dad catch anything? No. No, no, dad didn't catch anything either. Did you all catch it? You try to get. What did you do specifically to catch the fish, Eva? 
You don't really remember. Okay. One of the things that, like, we, when we have to try to catch fish, have you ever been told you have to be quiet? Yeah, so you have to be quiet so you're not allowed to talk. And you have to hold a fishing rod in your hand, and you just pray to God that the fish are hungry that day, right? So I fish like you all fish. I fish with a fishing rod, and I fish for fun, right? Sometimes I catch fish, and sometimes I don't. But the, that's odd. Yeah, that is odd. What's that what? Do you like that? It does change. There's different colors, aren't there? Yes. I think we're just going to go ahead and pray. Does that sound like a good idea? And we're going to pray that we can someday catch fish together. That one too, they're just the same, aren't they? Gold and green and a lighter color green. Okay, let's pray. You guys, you guys pray after me. Okay, you ready? Dear God, you rock and we love you. And we're so glad we don't have to catch fish for a profession. We are thankful for the people that do, for fish is yummy. Thank you, Lord, for the story of the fishermen being followers of Jesus. Help us follow him too. We love you. Amen. Okay, go sit down. It's groovy like that, isn't it? Multicolors, yes. invite you to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 12 through 23. Hear God's holy word. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And he left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went home from there, sorry, as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy God, we do thank you for the story of your son and how he encountered humans on a regular basis and how he drew them close to him. God, draw us near to your word this day. Send your spirit upon us for an understanding of this story. We say all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Fishing is something that I was taught to do at a very early age. I think I was probably 
uh, four, uh, maybe five, when I got my first fishing rod and reel. I remember it was my birthday, and we were having my birthday party at Chief Logan State Park, and, and, and that's what I got for my birthday was a tackle box and a fishing rod. Um, and I, I just immediately fell in love with this idea that you can throw something into the water and hopefully catch a fish and reel it back in. And with our older two children, uh, we, we pretty much introduced them to fishing at a rather early age as well. I think Mackenzie was maybe two. We have this cute little picture of her at Summersville Lake, and she's holding like a, I don't know if it was a Scooby-Doo or Mickey Mouse uh, fishing rod that he, she had. Uh, Miller was about four when we finally calmed him down enough to let him fish. And then the two little ones are two, the ones that you know on a regular basis. Um, they got to grow up with a pond behind their house. We had about a little acre and a half, two acre pond in the woods behind our house. And so in the summertime, we would walk down to the pond and catch uh, crappie and bluegill. And, and it, was, it was great. So our kids have all experienced uh, catching fish and spending time near the water. And I think the reason that I love it so much is that there is excitement in catching a fish. Uh, there's a great amount of excitement in that. But also it reminds me of being able to spend time with my uncle. Uh, my uncle had a boat, and we would go to Summersville in the summers. That's where I learned how to water ski. I learned about that lake in particular, how to catch bass uh, from that lake. And it was just it was a great amount of time. And so for me, fishing is very familial. It's, it's one of those things that I feel like I, I, I need to do that in the summertime, in the spring, in the summertime. Uh, I will say, I, I used to get in trouble for fishing. In fact, uh, Mackenzie had a little solo in a Christmas play one time, and I happened to be catching quite a bit of fish at Beach Fork Lake and just missed that uh, singing thing. So I don't fish as much as I used to <laughs> because of that. Uh, so, uh, th but that's something I, I, when I say that I like to fish, I used to like to fish a lot more than I do now. It's a, it's a deceleration in life for me. As much as the craziness of the world is going on to be on the water, to, to just be able to just sit and chill and hopefully catch something, is, it's just great. It's a great hobby. And I'm sure that you all, if you don't like to fish, you probably have a hobby. It's something that you really enjoy doing. It, it helps you get centered. It helps you uh, be in a place in life where you find enjoyment, right? Now, as I said to the children, Fishing professionally, radically, completely different than fishing for sport or for hobby. And the story that we read today about these, these uh, anglers who were fishing professionally is kind of a, it's a neat little fish story, really. Um, and I'm willing to bet that you've heard this story preached a time or two from the pulpit. Regardless of which cycle of the lectionary we're in, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, all of us uh, all three of those Gospels are preached on a regular basis. It's typically called the call of the disciples. But really, it is truly kind of a fish story. If we know anything about the ministry and life of Jesus, we know that he called several men specifically to follow him, to help him in his ministry, to be trained directly by him. But he also brought other people alongside him as well. It wasn't all uh, just people that were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. There were several women, and that would have never happened. Their women would never be able to be uh, anglers on the Sea of Galilee. That was just not what happened in the first century. But other women followed him as well. So I don't want to exclude the fact that Jesus did call women towards him. But this specific story 
is about the call of these first few men. Our text last week from John's Gospel may a little bit be confusing, especially because it mentions Andrew and Simon Peter, uh, the way that that kind of call took place. But if you think really about the way that John's writing that story, that story was mainly about Jesus, uh, about how John the Baptist pointed to Jesus as him being the Lamb of God, and then these other people, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, ended up following Jesus as well. But that story doesn't have to make this story inaccurate. And this story doesn't have to make that story inaccurate. We know that those people followed Jesus, and we know that professionally they were fishermen. But this week, Jesus specifically asks them to follow him. So I don't think we need to try to meld those stories together or make them be something that is counterintuitive to each other. And I think it's it's kind of really about maybe how they noticed Jesus' aura and maybe were smitten with how amazing Jesus was, just being able to be around him in his presence. If you think specifically about the woman who had the bleeding disease, she noticed that same kind of aura about Jesus Uh, she just reached out and touched the hem of his garment and was healed, and he felt energy leaving her. So people were naturally drawn to this Jewish preacher from Nazareth. And I think that's kind of how I like to imagine, you know, John's storytelling about how James and John and Simon and Andrew came to follow Jesus. But there's something different about being smitten by somebody and and then actually following them in life, becoming one of their students. Now John, we find out, is in jail, and Jesus returns to Galilee. And more often than not, I have a tendency to love the way the New Revised Standard translates the Bible, Um, but this week they get something, I think, a little bit wrong. The word that is translated as withdrew in our text, it's in your bulletin, it was in what I read this morning, that's a Greek word called anexoren. And really what that word kind of means is returned. And the New International Version gets that better. Um, To say that Jesus withdrew um, to Galilee might kind of imply that he's hiding. Uh, That's not really what's going on here. In fact, John is imprisoned uh, by Herod, uh, and he's going into the same territory where Herod Antipas has arrested John. So really, by going into Galilee, going into a different section of, of Israel at the time, um, he's kind of going into the lion's den in many ways. He's not hiding out. He's going to the front lines. Um, he's going where his cousin has been arrested and is in prison. He's going to that same territory. So leaving Nazareth, Jesus came to dwell in Capernaum. Capernaum was the largest city on the Sea of Galilee. Um, if, it's, uh, if you've ever looked at a map of Israel, Nazareth is kind of to the southwest of the Sea of Galilee. The sea of Galilee is in the no- more northern part of the country. But it was also the part of the country at that time in particular where many of the Greek residents uh, lived. And they lived there either because they had um, kind of gained land by the spoils of war and they were granted a piece of property, or also it's, we, we learn later in some of the Gospels, that area was called the Decapolis. And it was called the Decapolis because they named ten different cities after uh, Greek uh, gods. And so they lived in that area. It was a massive area of commerce and transport. And so when Jesus goes to Capernaum in particular, there's really kind of 
a marketing plan on, on his behalf. Uh, he, this is like where all of the good news of the area is spread, not just fishing stories, but because of these different uh, towns that are around the Sea of Galilee, people see each other on the lake. And so while there may be a separation of 20 or 30 miles on land, maybe even more, uh, as the, the people are out fishing on the, on the lake, they communicate with each other. Hey, did you hear about this? Hey, did you hear about that? And so it's kind of neat, I think, that Jesus goes to these fishermen and kind of brings them alongside him in, in his ministry. These people would be used to knowing people on the other side of the lake. In fact, we hear stories about Jesus going to the other side of the lake to preach as well. There would be a familiarity between those kinds of people. They've seen each other on the lake fishing. And so this is kind of a, a neat little plan that Jesus has in play here. So he moves from Nazareth and he goes into this area of Capernaum. And Matthew does a really good job of melding uh, the prophecies of the Old Testament with Jesus' ministry. And so he goes to the territory of Naphtali, Naphtali, uh, but also to Zebulon. Uh, so he's trying to be very specific when he tells the story to say this basically matches everything that the prophet Isaiah was speaking about. Jesus sees as his mission uh, to be towards the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so we'll find out later in chapter 15 when Jesus meets with the Canaanite woman uh, that Jesus is also, in addition to reaching the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he's also going to open his ministry to the Gentile people as well. And what better place to do that than Galilee of the Gentiles? So Matthew changes a little bit of the Isaiah text when he says toward the sea. Uh, Isaiah really is talking about the Mediterranean Sea, not the Sea of Galilee, but that's okay. Nonetheless, um, he, he makes it fit there a little bit. And in Capernaum, Jesus proclaims, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now John said these things in the wilderness of Judea. Now Jesus is saying it in the Galilee of the Gentiles. John and Jesus are in continuity with one another, for the kingdom of heaven is really what they're preaching about. And it's spreading throughout the region. So it's, it's kind of a, a cool notion to see that Jesus in some ways is carrying on the same message that John was carrying. Um, but you also have to understand that God prepared John to, to preach that message so that Jesus could also preach that message and then grow the ministry. Now, the Sea of Galilee, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful lake. It's about seven miles wide. It's 13 miles long, something like that. Probably a little bit larger in Jesus' time than it is now. Um, it's a freshwater lake, and it is where the Jordan River feeds into this lake, and then it's uh, held in this nice little basin, and then the Jordan River continues on out the other side. And the shoreline is populated with all kinds of little villages that are basically all fishing villages. And I've told you this before, but it bears repeating that in the first century and many centuries on either side of the first century, being a fisherman, especially in Israel, uh, was not a very lucrative job. There were urban elites, uh, Greeks and Romans, again, that had received this land uh, because of wartime, um, uh, their winnings from the war. There were also some Jews that still lived in that area, but basically if you wanted to fish, 
In the first century, you had to have, like you do now, a license. had to have a commercial fishing license. Really, that was a tax. So your nets were taxed, your boat was taxed, uh, the people that worked with you were taxed. The fish that you caught were not your fish. You had to pay a tax on those fish because those fish belonged to Caesar. Uh, And so the whole time that you're catching these things, even though there was a large demand for it, you were never going to make any money. Fishing rights generally weren't awarded to to individuals. They were kind of given to co-ops, and so that's why you hear that Peter and uh, his brother were fishing together. James and John were fishing with their father. Likely they weren't very far apart from each other. They may have even been in the same kind of co-op. They were, the fishermen were the bottom of a very detailed economic hierarchy. There were taxes and tolls that had to be paid, as I said. And Jesus made this strong appeal to local fishermen. The known harbors of the Sea of Galilee in the first century were correlated with many places where Jesus does a great deal of his traveling and ministry. Bethsaida, Capernaum, Gennesar, Magdala, Gadara, and Gergasa. All of those places to this day have records of where Jesus had spent time in those locations. He would, um, he would speak to these people who were used to fishing, and he would say, I'd like for you to come and follow me. Now, I think we've romanticized that. I think that in many ways, this sermon has probably been preached by, by ministers far better than me, that you need to be like these fishermen. You need to give up everything and just follow Jesus. Cast your burdens uh, on God and God will care for you, right? They usually quote that text when they preach the sermon. I, I think, and I want to challenge us to think a little differently here, if it's possible for you to leave a profession where your body is constantly being beaten down, you never get to spend time with your family, you don't make any kind of money really, you're basically doing this thing just to exist. And somebody comes along and says, become my follower, specifically a rabbi. If a rabbi comes to you and says, become my student, I would like to argue there's a really good chance that you might follow. And, and here's why. There are theologians and scholars who will disagree with everything I'm getting ready to say, so take it with a grain of salt. I want to preface this statement by saying that. But we know by the second and third centuries that the way a rabbi would choose their students would be to walk around the students as they were coming of age, so before the boys specifically would become 12, they would walk around and they would handpick who they wanted to be their students. And if you got picked, it's almost like hitting a lottery. You would then become someone who studies the Hebrew scriptures, you would study all of the prophets, you would start preparing different midrash on what those things meant, and and you would be supported by your community wherever you lived, okay? That's much better and much easier than the backbreaking work of being a fisherman. So chances are, if a rabbi comes and walks into your town and says, hey, become one of my students, I think there's a really good chance that they would leave what they were doing, leave their dad in the boat even, right? James and John left Zebedee in the boat and followed Jesus. And I'm not trying to say that there's not 
there's not some yes on their part. But if you want to, if you want to kind of follow me through on this theory, when Jesus died, what did the disciples do? They went fishing, right? They returned to the thing that they knew how to do best. We tried it. We thought we were going to follow him. We thought he was going to make our life better, but gosh, I guess we were wrong about that. Let's go back out on the lake. Now, we know from John's gospel specifically that Jesus met them on the shore, and Peter jumped into the water and swam to Jesus once he recognized who he was. So in many ways, I don't think that what we need to, to look at and pay attention to most closely is the devotion of the disciples. I think it's really important for us to look at Jesus calling people that had already been picked over. They'd already been skipped. Jesus selected people that wouldn't have qualified to be other rabbis' students because he saw something in them that was worthy to be saved. They're given a second opportunity. They can be educated in a new and unique way. And if you, if you get to pick this thing as, even if you're self-serving, if you say, golly, Ned, I'd much rather be doing something uh, where I use my mind instead of something where I have to, all my muscles are sore all day long, it makes sense that Jesus would use them. Now, he blew their minds, right? The rest of the gospel that we're going to read, like Jesus constantly shocked the disciples with what he did. But the story is about Jesus calling them and saying, go into the world and make disciples like I've made you my disciples. That's the punchline at the end of Matthew's gospel. As Jesus gathers them back to himself, that's when he says, now go and do the same thing that I've done. Go pick people that the world may not pick. Go pick people who are outside of our social strata. Go pick people who need to hear this good news. And know that I will be with you until the end of the age. That wasn't an immediate conversion on their part. It didn't just suddenly happen and everything in their life changed. There was a book I read in seminary. It was called Spiritual Theology by Diogenes Allen. I tried really hard to find a copy of it so that I could read this specific part to you this morning, but I'm going to have to basically paraphrase it because it's in a box in my garage still. Essentially what Diogenes argues is when you have a conversion moment, contrary to kind of other theologies, you're walking along and suddenly you stop. And you think, am I doing things correctly? Maybe I need to do something differently. And you make a slight turn. Diogenes Allen would say, that's true conversion, is stopping one thing that you're currently doing, thinking about it, and, and changing directions. And then as you continue on, as you walk in that new direction, you're learning how to do things in a new way. And at some point in time, spiritually, you recognize that God has something to do with this and you cast your attention to God. And as I'm reading this book as a little Baptist boy, and I'm in seminary and I'm thinking, my goodness, this makes so much more sense. That's the day that I realized I was Presbyterian. 
because this Presbyterian author had just described what I had felt my entire life. Yes, at church camp, I had recognized how sinful a person I was and I wanted to stop it and I prayed a prayer, but guess what? Five minutes after I prayed that prayer and I stubbed my toe on a rock on the way back to my cabin, I didn't scream out, holy, holy, holy. Did conversion take place? Did that, did that then falsify all the decisions that I'd made about trying to make my life better? No. It just meant I needed to continue walking towards God. Once you feel the change and you take a step in a new direction, you're going to be able to see amazing signs, miracles, and you can hear great teaching from God. But when do you truly become a Christian? In my mind, the followers of Jesus didn't truly become Christian until after the resurrection of Jesus. And in our mind, we may convert many, many times. But until we recognize truly the risen Lord and make all of our decisions based on the risen Lord, that's where we're working our way into Christianity. Any of us who enjoy fishing recreationally um, recognize that there are moments on the water where we have to be safe. There are people who do it professionally. They risk their lives every day. They're not escaping from their life. That is their life. When I go fishing, I'm escaping from my life. I go away. I take time away from reality. I take time away from work. I go enjoy nature. I experience calm. I embrace simplicity. And then I return to life. Maybe you do that at the beach Maybe you do that by going into the mountains, into a cabin. Maybe you go into a book. You throw yourself into a book. But all of us somehow vacate the rigors of life in order to be entertained and have enjoyment. But when we vacate normality, the objectives and the expectations of normality tend to change. Rarely, if ever, do I give a second thought to the idea of pleasing God with my spare time. Mostly because I can rationalize that God gets so much of my work time, I'm not going to let God have my personal time. It's a battle that I fight on a regular basis. This is where I recognize I'm still in the process of converting. I'm still like those disciples that are on the ship that are willing to follow Jesus wherever Jesus takes me until there's some discomfort in what Jesus has to say to me. I'm not all the way there. I'm still figuring out how to follow, how to say yes to God. What would it look like for me to vacate to Jesus with no preconceived notions what I might get out of that decision? How, how is this going to help me by following Jesus? See, I think that's the beginning of the disciples' ministry. They thought their life would be better by following Jesus. What if your life gets worse by following Jesus? Would you still follow? What if you had to hide your faith? Would you still proclaim it? What if you were scared to death that somebody would knock on your door and take you away 
if you were in fact a Christian? I don't know how I would answer those questions. I have a tendency to think that I'd like to protect my family. Does that make me not a true follower, a true disciple of Jesus? Where would Jesus ask me to fish? Where does he want to send me to make me a fisher of people? Where does he want to send you? How are you following Jesus dangerously? What's holding any of us back? Where would Jesus send us as a church to fish? Who wants to go fish for people with me? Because Jesus is calling us to go do that very thing. May all of us prayerfully consider seeking to do the will of God. May we embrace that call in our lives personally, but let us do this also as a church corporately. May we do it in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. This time we'll continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for the many gifts and blessings you've given us in this life. Lord, as we return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask for your wisdom and your courage to use these gifts in a manner in which you see fitting. All this we say in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I have uh, several prayer requests to share with you this morning. Uh, an update on Kinsey McComas. Um, so I don't understand all of what I'm going to tell you, but essentially uh, Kinsey is, is doing well, um, but she is in, uh, technically in heart failure after her surgery, and so uh, she's going to be staying in Columbus at least through February 20th. They found a little uh, pocket of fluid around her heart, and they've tested that. It's, uh, it's not bacterial, it's not fungal, but it is uh, something to be concerned about, and so she'll have to do uh, IV uh, treatments three times a day, and Becca has to do that for her. So they're going to stay in Ronald McDonald House in Cincinnati uh, until February 20th. There's also a concern that she may have to wear like a life vest uh, because of the heart failure. We'll know more about that uh, this week, and so as soon as I learn more about that, I will update you. But please continue to keep Kenzie and Becca in your prayers. Uh, Millie White, those of you on Facebook hopefully saw, she fell and uh, fractured her pelvis, and she is at Stone Rise. Uh, sh- is she not? She home? She told me. Good. Praise the Lord of hosts. She's home. She told me yesterday, I want to go home. Uh, and I said, are they going to let you? And she said, I don't know, but that's where I want to be. So that's great news. She is home. Perfect. Awesome. So she's continuing to heal. Uh, Chris Dunlap's brother passed away uh, this week, Kenny. Uh, Reverend Weed's friend, Bud, uh, had a, a pretty tragic thing happen to him. As of yesterday, uh, they did extubate him, and so he's doing a little bit better, and Kathy is spending some time with her friend uh, in Georgia. And then Valerie Raid's sister-in-law, Marie Gillespie, passed away this week after a fall as well. So many people to pray for. Uh, let's also lift our own personal uh, prayers to our God and to our King. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for all the good gifts in this life that you've granted to us. We thank you, Lord, especially for the gift of friendship. Lord, we have listed concerns that we have for our friends, our family, our beloved. And God, we just ask that you hear these prayers that we lift to you. We pray, God, that you would be with those who are mourning and grieving. We pray, God, also for those who need to be healed. We trust and know and believe, Lord, that you are the great physician. We're thankful also, God, for those whom you have called into the medical profession, those healers and helpers. God, we ask that you be with them, guide them and direct them. Give them, Lord, the courage to be people of faith, but also, Lord, allow the scientific reasoning to to win out, Lord, and, and heal these who need to be healed. God, we also know that you understand completely what it's like to lose a loved one, especially a child. Those who are grieving and mourning the loss of their loved ones today, Lord, we know that you understand that. And so we ask that your spirit be upon them as they grieve and mourn for a time to come. 
God, we pray for our country. We're thankful, Lord, that we have the freedom to gather in this place. We know that that freedom has come at a great and severe cost historically. We're thankful, God, for those whom we call veteran. We pray, God, for those in the military this day. We pray for their safety. We pray for their safe return home. And we pray, God, for a day of peace where we no longer have to have a standing army or navy, where we may beat our swords into plowshares. God, we pray for the situation in Ukraine. Lord, as it seems to not be dying anytime soon, we pray, God, for peace in that area. We pray for those that we call our enemy. Although we don't always understand this, Lord, we know that you ask us to pray also for our enemies. We pray, God, for our president, for the leader of our nation. We pray for our state and local leaders, whoever govern over us. We pray, Lord, for our neighborhoods. We pray for the children in our neighborhoods, the school districts. We pray for their safety. We pray, God, for you to call us to be fishers for people. Forgive us for where we have failed you, Lord, in that endeavor in our life. But, Lord, also we trust and believe in your grace. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide us and direct us as your faithful church to be people who proclaim your name in this world. God, because we are a community of faith, we pray for those who are seated to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us. Pray, Lord, for our friends at home and those tuning in from home. We pray, Lord, now in the silence for ourselves. God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We thank you so much for sending your son to earth, that he showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our closing hymn, hymn number 321, The Church's One Foundation.
I think one of the greatest ways that our church fishes for people happens every Friday from 10 to, or 10.30 to 11.15, right? When we get the littles that come into our church, and three of us read a book and do a craft and make a snack, and God sends us these littles every Friday, right? And we don't have to do a whole lot but love them. Imagine how much love we could give to more children than that, right? We have that energy. Miss Donna leads us. She guides us and directs us. In fact, if you want to help, they're meeting right after church today in the parlor. She could always use more people to help with the littles. It's the easiest way for us to be followers of Christ is to let the little children come to us. It's not just the little children that need to learn about Jesus either. This world is filled with people who have no idea what it's like to have Christ as king. Let us all get the energy, the effort to dangerously go into the waters of the world. We don't have to proclaim, we don't have to ring a bell, and Jesus loves you, we don't have to do that kind of crazy stuff. Just, just be you. Just be the love that you already are, the love that you show each other, the love you show me. Just continue being that. And if they ask you why you're different, say, come with me on Sunday morning. Amen? Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May he be with us all until we meet again, either here or his glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday.